to TSCRA Talk, a podcast by Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association. I'm your host, Kristen Brown. Joining me today is Hugh Aljo with the Noble Research Institute to discuss regenerative ranching. Welcome to TSCRA Talk. Thanks for being with us today. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Kristen. Now, to bring us all on the same page, give us a definition of regenerative grazing that we can work from. Kristen, what we'll do is, you know, we'll just back up just a minute, you know, and look at our definition here at Noble of regenerative ranching. You know, what it is, is for us to achieve land stewardship for improved soil health and grazing animal production with lasting producer profitability. The regenerative grazing is just the grazing aspect. How do we apply the grazing principles? Because the grazing management that we apply is probably the most beneficial management tool that we have in managing our forages, our lands, and, uh, you know, our, our grazing landscape. Sure. So there are multiple components to that then. And, and so focusing on the grazing, which it makes sense, regenerative ranching, it's, a, it's an overall mindset. But then diving into the grazing component, what factors are considered? And, and then we'll go into each of those. So I anticipate soil okay. and then grass. And is, are there other ones that are considered? Yeah. Yes, ma'am. You know, we, we want to look at the soil, the grass, the land. You know, we even look at the human component and uh, profitability. You know, you, if you're not profitable in the short term, you really don't have the opportunity to be profitable long term. So it all has to come together. And people may not like the word holistic, but it is a holistic approach. We've got to look at it all. But it begins with the soil. You know, what do we need to do in order to better manage the soil so that our our lands can be more productive, more resilient, uh, more resistant to uh, droughts and floods and these factors that we have little or no control over. So we really begin to, what do we need to do to take care of the soil, which is the first thing, just keeping it covered. We want to make sure that we have plenty of residual. And oftentimes we lose sight of that as, you know, as, as livestock producers, you know, we think about that, about grass and forages, and we need to make efficient use of these these forages the thing is is nature needs some of this plant material returning back to the uh, you know the surface of the uh, of the soil as well as you know that that goes through the, the livestock itself so typically as livestock producers i've observed we're a little too aggressive trying to have a greater harvest efficiency than what the land really can take and you know everybody worries about having too much grass. Well, I seldom see too much grass. You know, every every now and then you find in a find yourself in a situation where we don't have quite enough animals, but you're it's never wasted grass. You know, there, if we give our our grazing lands an opportunity to go a little longer, have a little more residual, maybe lay over and and probably not get it grazed, uh, we can actually improve our soil so much more rapidly than if we try to. Have efficiency in our grazing, so that's that's where we really begin. Keeping it covered, making sure that whatever uh, rainfall that we do get, it soaks in instead of runs off. That's one of the nice things about having the that plant material there and live plants, intersper- you know, interspersing, you know, the landscape is the more interaction and in, in that we can have right there at that soil. The water that does hit the hit the you know the plants and the material actually has an opportunity to soak in instead of. Uh, run off. So that's what we want to do is try to try to build our infiltration rate as well as our water holding capacity. And without without that other material, we, we just can't do it. So that's for the first thing that we w- would like to do. And then the second thing is we really got to manage our grazing such that that we're 
always giving that plant the best opportunity to, to regrow as rapidly as possible. If we take too much leaf material off the plant, the root growth stops. They, you know, the, there's not enough leaf area to support, you know, the roots below the soil. So they drop off a bunch of roots and you get back to a point where they can maintain themselves. And then they have to start the whole process over. And you think about how, you know, as we mow our yards or we mow a pasture, if we mow it tall in our yard, we have to come back a whole lot faster in order to keep it looking nice because it regrows so fast. Whereas if you, if you mow it short, you know, you can go two or three weeks without having to mow. That's the same thing we're doing with our pastures. We've got to make sure that we're actually providing enough leaf out there to where it regrows rapidly. So instead of grazing it off short, leaving a lot of, a lot of leaf area, we leave plenty of leaf area. The actual plants, the roots, they continue to grow and provide even more production. And in doing so, we end up with a lot more forage over the course of the year. And then probably the other thing, and, and it's not the only thing, but we want to make sure that we manage for plant diversity. In a native range setting, that's you know that's that's already being taken care of for the most part. Is we have forbs, or a lot of people call weeds, out in the pastures. Some landscapes, you know, should have some woody plants a part of the you know, part of the components of their forages. But the grasses in a beef cattle operation is what we're really trying to focus on. So we want to make sure that as we're looking at our grasses, we want to have plenty of diversity, also plenty of the of the forbs that are supposed to be there and making sure that we're, we're allowing enough rest and recovery for those plants that we're keying off of. And the bigger, wider planted, wider leafed plants, such as big blue stem and Indian grass and switchgrass, little blue stem, the wider the leaf, the taller the plant, the longer the recovery period needs to be. So if you're really managing for, for those more palatable, more desirable, more productive grasses, We've got to be ready and prepared to allow more rest and recovery than we would if it was uh, uh, grasses like introduced grasses like Bermuda grass, Bahia grass, and other introduced species such as that. So knowing what we've got out there, knowing how to manage for the for that increased diversity, we actually build our soils up because the organisms in the soil have relationships with the plants to where they exchange nutrients. You know, the plants supply we call sugars, you know, sucrose, in exchange for water and other nutrients that they can find, you know, the organisms find in the soil. So as we find that the, that uh, those carbohydrates being exchanged with the plant for nutrients, the plants begin to develop a symbiotic relationships with these organisms, and it requires all the organisms within the uh, within that system to be highly functional in order for that soil to continue to improve like we want it. And then we get into the introduced pasture, the Bermuda grasses, the Bahia grass. You, you know, they recover more rapidly, but they've been built, created such that they could respond more rapidly to, you know, within a growing, uh, within the growing period. So in doing so, you know, we've been, you know, they've been developed with fertilizer and fertility in mind. They really need to be sure that we've got the right amount of nutrients in the soil so that they can be most productive and most efficient. And oftentimes we've been caught trying to, you know, I want to say, sort of, sort of cheat the system, shortchange it by just applying nitrogen. What we've really got to be looking at is uh, the pH. The pH, in other words, do you know, do these soils need lime or some sort of soil amendment to where we can make our our fertilizer more efficient? And then we also need to be looking at the phosphorus, potassium, because a lot of our soils here in the, the Texas and the, in the Southern Great Plains are, are often 
of short and phosphorus, especially if we've been in a, in a fertilizing program for a number of years. So if we can get those two elements, then we can make sure that our nitrogen is more efficient. So, you, you know, knowing what's in the soil, soil tests are always important. Uh, I've come to appreciate what a soil health test, what the additional information it provides, looking at the organic components as well, can mean to understanding how healthy our soils are. So that's where we really want to begin is not only being able to take uh, traditional soil tests, but use some of the soil health tests like the Haney test, especially on our our more productive sites, just to be sure how much of the organic nutrients are available to the plants too. Sure. That is all fantastic information. And like you said at the beginning, a holistic approach that we can't just zoom in on one thing and say, this is our, you know, surefire answer. If we do this one thing, we're set, we can ignore the rest. We have to have to have a wide, broad view, take all things into consideration. Well, and and the things that we, you know, in our grazing management, we tend to, you know, we tend to come back to pastures uh, too frequently. Uh, We get into a drought, drought type situation like we've experienced uh, here the last few years, tend to graze too much. We don't leave enough residual. And, you know, we we try to stretch the grass for as long as we can. And as a result, you know, for every year that we're, you know, basically overgrazed, you know, it's going to take about two, sometimes three years to to get back to where we might have been before. So, you know, just because like right now, we're in some areas are getting good rainfall and they're seeing all this flush of growth out that that's occurring doesn't mean that our that our carrying capacity, you know, the amount of forage that's going to be grown is actually increasing because the roots of the plants and the plants themselves have got to continue to develop. And the new plants that are that are growing aren't going to have enough root system for another year in order to really be as productive as they should be. And if we overgraze them or try to try to make use of them too soon or too heavily in a year of recovery, we just slow the process to where we miss the opportunity to increase carrying capacity over time. Sure. That's that's very interesting, especially with all of the rain that some places in Texas have been receiving a good good thought process to have with the promise of more grass coming with all the rain. Now what would you say are the steps to get started? Um, somebody who's wanting to begin a regenerative grazing mindset on their operation. The first step in regenerative ranching and regenerative grazing is making sure that you understand what your carrying capacity really is. You know, we always want to set carrying capacity. You know, we want to set our stocking rate at carrying capacity. You know, we don't want to give any any flexibility. So whatever grass we grow, we, we want to make sure that we're making use of it. We really need to make sure that our that we understand that our carrying capacity changes from year to year. You know, we know that from a favorable rainfall year to an unfavorable rainfall year, you've got a swing that could be as much as 30 to 50 percent production-wise. And you start thinking about that, you know, if we're setting a, a constant stocking rate, we, we need to set ourselves up to where we can have success, even in years that aren't quite as as uh, favorable as we'd like for them to be. So set our stocking rates at below carrying capacity. And we need to be able to monitor our carrying capacity as season to season and year to year, because in doing so, then we have a better opportunity to be understocked. But then when you get these good years, you have the opportunity to either bring in another enterprise or some retain your, your own calves for a longer period of time. You know, you, you know, you got flexibility. Otherwise, you don't. So the first step is making sure that you're you remain stock below your carrying capacity at all times. 
The second thing that we need to do is make sure that we have plenty of residual, manage for residual. You know, don't worry about wasting grass. There's really, again, as I said, there's not too many places I can ever say that I've ever seen grass that was ever wasted. So maintain plenty of excess top graze. Make sure you've got plenty of leaf area. And if you find yourself running short, you're already overstocked. So that's why it's really critical to, to know where you're, you know, where you're setting your stocking rate at. The other thing is, but once you do graze it, allow plenty of rest and recovery. You need to have recovery periods to where these plants can attain that what I call a full flush, you know, fully express themselves. And you've got leaves within the, you know, the, the plants of your key plants that you're keying off of beginning to what we call senesce or beginning to mature and brown out. You want these plants that are fully ready to graze because at that point they're photosynthesizing, turning our sunlight, water into carbohydrates or more plant tissues. And in order to refresh those plants, we need to graze them. So that's when we want to make sure they're grazing it. And then when we graze it, we want to make sure we're not taking all of the plant. We would prefer to top graze. So we want to lightly graze at all times, especially coming out of a drought. You know, we want to top graze, give these plants a chance to, to go reproductive at some point in time in the season or as many in as many pastures as you can. And the other thing to think about is that if you if you can top graze these plants this time of year, it also allows these plants to tiller. They'll, they'll actually end up with more new plants because of the grazing effect uh, off of the same plant. So you end up with more plant material and then a, a more robust plant over time. But we've got to give them a chance this first year after on recovery, uh, you know, coming out of a drought to, to really not only express themselves well at full flush, but go reproductive and continue to build new tissues, new plant tissues, so that you have a better year next year. And then if whatever plants that you've grazed hard this year, or let's say that you grazed early in the season this spring, next year, we want to try to probably plan to be somewhere else next year. You know, we don't want to use the same or use the same pattern across all our grazing pastures year after year. We'd like to provide a little bit of diversity in that so that uh, these plants have an opportunity to be more resilient as these seasons change. And that's the way we, we try to do that. Let's dive into the profitability component. And I think this may be a really basic question, but I'm curious to hear your insight on it, on how this practice, these practices then impact profitability. A part of the practices too, and we hadn't mentioned yet, but when, especially when we start to, uh, uh, looking at these introduced pasture systems is part. We want to minimize the use of synthetic fertilizers and chemicals to the extent that we can. You, you may still need some some starter fertilizer because if you're low in nutrients, you're, you you know you, you got to somehow give yourself a chance to 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 get these plants actively growing and then over time begin to wean yourself off of it. But that alone, you know, you're in these introduced pasture systems that we've experienced, those have experienced. You know, that's a lot of cost. You know, in fact, that's some of the most expensive inputs that we have is whatever we do to produce our feed and our hay and our forage. And if we're just grazing what nature provides to us, you know, you've cut out a lot of your cost automatically. So you, immediately you can you can see that in, in these introduced pasture systems. And when we graze in these higher stock densities, even the weeds, the forbs become forage. And that's uh, that, that's also <laughs> Uh, kind of exciting to see how how that comes together 
of how well the, the animals learn to utilize other forages, but it, you know, you've got to learn to to use the stock density in, in your, you know, to, to your favor. The other part that we see even at a larger scale is that when we're moving these livestock in these herds, you preferably have a single herd, large herd that you're moving around, giving rest and recovery. We end up with more forage production. And then when we start grazing it, let's say in a daily or an every other day allocation that, that we try to achieve here, we end up being very efficient. We don't need hay. You know, you, you know, the animals are only utilizing what we want to give them. You know, you think about cattle that uh, during the wintertime, oftentimes we feed them hay. You know, we never turn the whole herd into the hay pen when it comes time to feed hay. You know, we give them what, you know, a bell or two bells enough to get them through for a couple of days or a day at a time. It's the same thing we need to be thinking about with our grazing management during the growing season. We need to be sure that we're, we're allocating forage for a day or a couple of days at a time. And we're a lot more efficient and we allow these plants to recover. And that's where we see, you know, often we're, uh, we can increase not only stocking rate a little bit over time, but we also see that, that uh, we don't have a re, you know, don't have a requirement to have that winter hay as a backup, you know, you probably always need to have a little bit for the inclement weather, those extremes. But in order to be properly stocked, you know, you probably should not be feeding hay or having cattle, what I call hustle, you know, eat some of the, <laughs> eat the, eat the residual all the way down to the ground during the wintertime. We need to have 30 days carryover through the winter come springtime. And then we know we're probably properly stocked. Very interesting and and so good to know. So throughout Texas, New Mexico, Oklahoma, our region here, there are ranges of all sizes. Can you share about what a system looks like on a large scale ranch, a ranch that has really big pastures? And that's the challenge that you have. You know, you're such a skill. It's really hard to go through and be able to do this to the extent that you can. Keep in mind, you don't have to do it all at one time. And the other part of it, you don't have to do it all year. You know, the, if you're following those, those the key principles, allowing adequate rest and recovery, uh, providing uh, uh, providing enough uh, residual after ever grazing event. If you're if you're actually stocked below carrying capacity at all times, you know, very conservative. You're probably doing as much for the land as you as you probably need to. It's the key is in how do you how do you get the stock density to work for you? And what we often recommend to start somewhere where you have plenty of pasture to begin with that recovers extremely rapidly and then integrate that into that season where you have the time in order to learn. We call it kind of a safe to learn concept. If you've got a smaller pasture that's usually relatively productive that you can go in, apply that type of of grazing management short term, you know, moving them every day or every other day and then making sure you have plenty of residual and then not have to come back until they're they're fully recovered. See how far you, you can get along doing that during that period of time. And the best times are, you know, they're at the beginning of the summer or late spring. And the other time is if you have stockpiled some pasture during, during you know, for winter grazing, winter feeding, and then do those allocations where you're just giving them so much to eat or to graze upon uh, over, you know, two or three day period and just see how far you go and how much further these these areas uh, last. And at that point, you don't have to worry about back fencing because they're only going to graze the part that's in front of them. And that's the that's the easy way to start. 
begin to look at what makes sense at your scale. You know, those areas closer to water, those areas that are near the house, smaller traps that uh, you can learn from, that's where I'd start. And then over time, you'll be able to figure out if I'm going to put in more cross fencing, you know, go, go be as cost effective as possible. You know, you can use the high tensile, but with some of the, the you know, the good poly wires they have, the, the turbo wire that, that's available, you can get by extremely well until you learn where you want to fence just using these uh, uh, temporary fences. So start with something like that. And then smaller, in a smaller operation, of course, it's always easier because everything's, a, you know, a smaller scale and it's a little easier to address. But on the large scale operations, try to find those areas where it's going to make the biggest difference. And oftentimes it's your most productive pastures is where I would begin. Well, interesting. So interesting. And and one thing that I hear you saying is that it's important to be a student of your operation and and always be learning and observing and And part of of that observing is journaling, you know, make notes, you know, know, get, have your grazing, you know, have a grazing chart, write down what you, where the cattle are, how many, how long they've been in there, what was the rest of recovery. And then on your journaling, communicate what you're actually seeing, you know, what were they eating? What were the grazing? Take time to observe the livestock as they go into a pasture and stay with them for a period of time. You know, you need to see them graze a grazing event. You know, that early morning grazing event's a really good one. It's usually about an hour and a half to two hours if there's plenty for them to eat. Uh, so it doesn't take very long, but just see how they change and observe their behavior within these, you know, within your grazing. Sure. Well, and, and something I read about regenerative grazing was that your cattle will give you signals if you're in tune with them. You know, if they're grazing in the afternoon or kind of milling around, those are signals that um, maybe they're they're not getting what they need. Is that correct and accurate? Right. You, you know, you, if they're grazing too often, you know, what's your gut feel? You know, they ought to be able to fill up, be done in about an uh, hour and a half, and then they ought to want to loaf. And if and then they may get up and have another grazing period this time of year in the late morning, have a little bit in the afternoon, and then a long one in the in the evening. But they'll graze about eight hours a day typically. But if they're standing out there and they're grazing and they never quite get filled up, and that that morning grazing event just carries on, you'll know. And and usually that's going to be when you've got pastures that are short. So if you got short pastures, that's you know you already know that your <laughs> that your grazing times are going to be considerably longer. Sure, sure. As we close, if folks want to learn more, if if you've piqued their interest and they say, I need to learn more about this, what do you recommend for resources? My recommendation on these resources is easy for us to to look at our our website here, you know, www.noble.org. And we've got a lot of information that we're, you know, we're communicating weekly. Uh, We're also beginning to start what we're calling our Essentials of Regenerative Ranching Educational Events. we got the first one that'll be in Stephenville and on July 11th to 12th. And there'll be others, some in Texas, some in Oklahoma that we'll be doing this year and, then of course, all next year. And it'll give you a place to for people to start. There's other good resources as well. The Understanding Ag have, have some really good resources. The National Grazing Lands Coalition, what that stands for, they're an excellent uh, resource as well. Begin looking up regenerative ranching, Google it, look up regenerative grazing, and just see what might be available to you. And if you have questions, be be sure to contact someone that has that type of expertise in the background, either here or at uh, 
you know, the Texas GLC is always a good resource. Extension is uh, got some really good people out there as well. I would uh, don't don't ever be hesitant to ask and to inquire. But if if you're interested, come to our website. We'd be happy to share and uh, get you signed up for one of our courses that are we're beginning again here in July. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time today and, and for all of your knowledge. Yeah, well, it's always fun to be a part of uh, the Texas Southwest Cattle Raisers Association. We're proud to be members of it and also just tickled to be able to contribute here to the podcast with you, Kristen. Thanks for listening today. We invite you to be part of one of our ranch gatherings and virtual ranching 101. For a full list of ranch gathering locations, ranching 101 topics, and more information about cattle raisers, visit tscra.org or email events at tscra.org.